Welcome to Pouring Over Pages, a podcast of words and wine. I'm Alexa. And I'm Maritza. Let's get it going. Yay! Yay! Episode four. Episode four. This is uh, this is what we've been looking forward to for a really long time because we read this book a while ago, a minute ago, <laughs> and then reread it for the purposes of this podcast. Figured it would be a really good uh, discussion book. Yeah, um, and it's a good one for Miami Beach Pride, which just happened. Um, so it goes along with the LGBTQ plus theme that we had going for September. Yep, we had Gunkle, the Gunkle. Now we've got Red, White, and Royal Blue Ooh. by Casey McQuiston. This is a book that a lot of people that I know have read this book. So I think, um, you know, for those who have read it, this will be a really fun conversation because mm-hmm. we're really trying to take certain themes from this book and have meaningful conversations. This is an episode where we're going to get a little bit political. We're going to talk about policy. We're going to talk about some of the things that this book touches on mm-hmm. in a fun and friendly and really interesting and I think accessible way. Yeah. So to people who maybe felt like politics is not something they understand or it, does, or it has nothing to do with them, mm-hmm. we're here to convince you today, hopefully, um, that it has everything to do with you. Every single thing every you do. Every single <laughs> thing you do and that a book like this can, can really help prove that point but again, in a fun and accessible way. Exactly. We're, we're here to pop bottles, read novels, and make things fun and accessible for all. That's that's part of what we do here. Yeah, exactly. So Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. This has become a very, very popular book. I mean, mm-hmm. so popular. You see it all over Bookstagram. This is the story of Alex and Henry, really, at the center. You have Alex, who is the first son of the United States, and he's actually the son of the first ever woman president. Yes. So we're already living <laughs> some really some really good times here in this These book. These were times that we projected that never came. Beautiful alternate reality that we all really needed, um, I think, after um, the last administration. And there's also Henry, who is the Prince of Wales. So we have this really cool royal connection. We have this really, really cool, you know, um, story and conversation about these two guys who fall in love and who have entire countries Mm -hmm. watching their every move and entire countries looking to them to be something that they have defined for themselves, right? And so these two guys have to really look into themselves and decide who they want to be for that public, who they want to be for each other, and how they're going to use their power and their voice and their influence to make progress happen. No pressure, though. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. And and I love it because it feels, as you're reading the book, it feels so accessible. Like, they, you, you really feel like you get to know them. Mm-hmm. I I read it, and I, I remember just thinking, like, man, I really just want to be friends with Alex. Definitely. Like, this guy is just hilarious, so awesome. And, of course, as I mentioned, him having the first, you know, woman president as his mom, and you get to see her as mom and as president. You see, this book is really good, I think, at showing you the, the, the different sides of people. Yes. Right? Who people are in public versus who they are in private, what they show to the world and what they don't. That's a conversation that also stems from what we were talking about in the gunkle, this idea of these boxes and us mm-hmm. tossing them aside. So... It's, it's, it's a fluid conversation that is continuing yeah. with this book. There's no Always. question. And most importantly, we're going to be drinking some, some something really delicious. Delicious and unique and different. So as you guys know, um, last time for the Gunkle, we made Aperol spritzes with um, Prosecco. So I figured I'd do something in a similar vein, but totally to the left, which you guys I were very excited about on Instagram when I posted. There were some haters 
I must admit. Non-believers. Non-believers. We'll call them non-believers. But I think I will change your mind after this as it has changed me. So I'm bringing on some English sparkling wine that's trying to rival the wines of Champagne. So this is Gusborne Brut Reserve from 2015 um, from the south of England. And we'll dive into that shortly. It's going to... I, I will make some changes with everyone here. You guys will believe. That's exciting because most people don't associate, you know, high quality sparkling wine with the UK. <laughs> <laughs> you don't uh, say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be really exciting. And we're going to definitely dive into that and, and, and let Alexa use her expertise to teach us all a little bit more. Um, and the last thing that we should mention, which is the big surprise, we have not posted this on Instagram. We no. have not announced this. We have not really said anything about this, but we actually Super have secret. a guest on Woo! today. Our first guest ever. Our first guest ever. And we're so excited because this is someone who we are we are huge fans of. She is a coworker of ours, a really good friend of ours, and she is British. So yeah. what better what better guest could we possibly have than Emma Heald? None. None. Everyone will enjoy her accent and let's bring her onto the show. Welcome, Emma. We're so excited that you're here joining us today. I am super happy to be here. I'm so happy to be your first guest. Like, that's quite the privilege. It it's really an honor. is. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous about it. I've done a lot of preparation. I've, you know, really, <laughs> I've got my little note tabs. I've made notes. Like, I've been working hard on this. Um, Emma has her book filled with hardcore note tabs. I love it. Yeah, lots of tabs. Lots of tabs. Lots of tabs. And, and you picked, you asked me to join for, like, the perfect book. Because um, I'm English, which I think you know, you guys already explained. My husband's Mexican, so we're channeling a little bit of that whole Ellen deal there. And then something you probably didn't know: my dad was a writer and a journalist, and he wrote. He was kind of a royal expert, so he wrote biographies. He wrote a biography of Prince Philip, a biography of Princess Margaret. Spent time with them both, and I have been to a garden party at Buckingham Palace. What? I went with him. Nearly got knocked over by people running to see Princess Diana. You know, that was pretty, <laughs> pretty cool. And then I did have an ex-boyfriend who was the equerry to the Queen Mother. What? So there's, oh, yeah, wow. there's a lot of connections here. I didn't even um, know it was that perfect of a fit when we asked her. Yeah. Oh, wow. Pretty you just a box full of surprises. There uh, you go. And so you we know, knew. We knew we picked the right guest. Yeah, you exactly. Did. Not for all those reasons, but we knew. But we knew. We, but we, we felt knew. it in our gut. Yeah. And what makes this book really interesting is that that British-American connection, right, which, which is why we really wanted you to come on, because you're going to provide a perspective that obviously we don't have. But one of the things that I wanted to start the conversation with is this idea of, of escapism versus what's possible and how this book, I think, really exemplifies that, right? So I was reading this book about a year ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we reread it, obviously, for the purposes of this podcast. But I read it about a year ago, and it was a moment for me where I was both trying to escape that trauma of everything we had experienced during that administration. <laughs> the administration that may not be named. He who shall yeah. not be named. <laughs> the Voldemort uh, administration. The orange. Voldemort. And then coming to terms with this idea of, of potentially better days ahead, mm -hmm. right? So I read it in this sort of weird moment. And the book is both of those things. The book is sort of soothing in that you're escaping into this reality that, you know, even though it wasn't happening at the time, it's still something I can wish for, right? I can still hope for the first female president. I can still hope for, you know, having a 
first son of the United States as cool as Alex. <laughs> I have a weird sort of crush on Alex in he's this so book cool. because he's the cutest. Just I'm, I picture him just being like the most adorable, like light brown boy, yeah. but real pretty. Yes. And you're just perfect. So all these things that you, you know, you you would hope for, you know, for better days. So I'm curious what you guys thought about that, how you experienced it, especially at the time when you read these books, because I think we all read it more or less at around the same time. I think right? so. Yeah, I read it a few months ago. Um, loved it. And, you know, I only got into romance books really because of Maritza. Like, I normally wouldn't <laughs> touch those kinds of novels, but now I'm, I'm, a, I'm completely into it. And that's one of the beauties of romance, right? It stretches reality, but not too far. So you can still imagine that this is something that could happen, even though it kind of takes you to this happy place where, yeah. you know, it's, it's just a better version of what you're already living. Right. And remaining hopeful mm-hmm. for the future. And something that I that I read that I thought was really interesting was I, I always go back and I read the acknowledgments um, because there's always a little bit a little bit of what was in the author's mind mm-hmm. at the time, right? And and Casey McQuiston she wrote for months after November I gave up on writing this book, meaning November when Donald Trump was elected. Yeah. Suddenly, what was supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek parallel universe needed to be escapist, trauma-soothing alternate but realistic reality. Not a perfect world, one still believably fucked up, just a little better, a little more optimistic. I wasn't sure I was up to the task, I hope I was. And I thought that was a really great way for her to start her acknowledgements because Mm -hmm. it it contextualized the book in that moment for me, as I just described, right? Where I Mm -hmm. needed that moment of like, okay, things have been really shitty, right? We've seen hell for four years. What can we hope for? What can we work for? And what can we do? You know, we're all here very politically engaged people. We care, we vote, et cetera. But it, it, just, it just really does remind you of how important every single one of these decisions is. Every single time you go and you vote. Every single time Everything. that you get yourself involved. You know, so this idea of I'm not a political person, Ugh. I hope that those people read this book. I hope oh so. God. I, you know, especially when it comes down to the local elections, even people are like, oh, I'm not political. It doesn't matter. My voice doesn't count. And I feel like almost the local elections are even a bigger gamble yeah. for you right. than the, the national election. Yeah. I totally hate that that phrase. I People will say, that. I'm not into politics. I don't care about politics. Politics is everything. It's, everything. You know, it's, it's the cost of the milk when you go to the store. It's mm-hmm. how much you're paying for gas. It's across the board. So this idea that you don't care about it, it just it drives me out of my mind. And that it doesn't affect you. Like you said, every yeah. single thing affects you when it comes to politics. If your vote didn't matter, they wouldn't work so hard to take it away from you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> To steal a phrase from Alexa, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) The most agreeable person on the face of this earth. (laughs) Only in the podcast, though, not in real life. Yes, that's that's actually absolutely true. That's absolutely true. (laughs) I mean, for me, the, the really cool thing, too, is there's a whole cast of characters here that you can dissect, right? And each one of them represents something different. But I wanted to dive in a little bit into Alex really quick. Mm-hmm. So he, there's a moment in page 16. The more his parents climbed the political ranks, the more he started to reckon with the fact that soon the world would know who he was. So this idea of being out in the world, you have to imagine he's really young at the time, right? Yeah. His mother's running for Congress and all of that. So this idea that you being out in the world and having a, a different facade than who you really are, right? This book shows characters in so many different ways, shows all of their different sides. And that was something that I thought was really interesting, especially in Alex's case, 
because he talks so much about that. He's, he hides behind his charm. Mm -hmm. He hides behind his humor when really he was hiding so much of his own insecurity, his own confusion. Um, I think at one point he even says, like, people who are straight don't have to spend this much time convincing mm -hmm. themselves <laughs> that they're <laughs> straight. <laughs> right. But he he's he's the, he's sort of like the stereotypical person who keeps themselves busy to not have to face some of those issues, that right? Me? To not have to. It could be. Are we having a breakthrough? <laughs> this is actually an intervention. Oh no! Disguised as an episode. <laughs> is there is there a character that you guys related to the most, or or that you found just the most interesting or exciting, or I don't know. For me, there's definitely Alex, and then I'll dive into Zara at some point because she deserves a. A very long, uh, you know, just sort of yeah, love letter shadow. from me. Yeah. yeah, I felt very connected to June uh, with, mm -hmm. you know, obviously the communications background and being super social savvy and and into all the pop culture, but also into the politics and all that. I felt a personal connection to her. Yeah, no, I think I would agree with Maritza. Alex is probably the one I related to the most. I think you really, the book is really kind of told from his viewpoint, so yeah, yeah. it yeah, makes it a lot. little easier. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely brought up a lot of issues that, that really resonated with me. Yeah, and, and the diversity in the book is, is what proves some of these points, right? The, the author is not shy, I would say, um, when it comes to some of that very straightforward criticism that, mm -hmm. she, that she puts in the book, right? And she uses these different characters, I think, in a really intelligent way to make some of those points. Um, I, think, I think of Nora, for example, who's, you know, you don't always associate women with STEM. You don't no, always associate never. women with math, right? So the fact that she was such a genius and that she was such an integral part of the campaign and that she was trusted to do this work, you know, I thought was, was a really great sort of character development for her. And then Zara, of course, I think Zara was just the absolute funniest. She was everything. She mm -hmm. was, she was, was a badass. She was a security guard slash aide slash family, first family wrangler. Uh, I mean, you name it. Swiss and army knife of, of job <laughs> of titles and skill yeah. sets. And, she, and every time that she opens her mouth, she says like fuck or shit or something. <laughs> yeah. I think she tells Alex at one point like I will staple your dick to your leg if you don't behave or something like that. And I was just laughing my ass off because I was thinking like how many times have I been told like Maritza don't say that act like a lady. I hate the word lady. <laughs> and I kind of talk like Zara. So I was like there she is. That's me. That's me in the book. <laughs> yeah. But she's so honest about how you know she's it's kind of it's harsh love, right? She really loves the people that she's working with and looking after, but she's going to tell you when you're fucking it up. Yeah. She was brilliant. I thought she was great. And I think, you know, the, and President Claremont, too, as a mom and as and as the president, you see those two sides of her, yeah, too. Right. She flips real quick, too. She flips too. real yeah. quick. Yeah. yeah. She, like, holds his hand and she's like, I love you. You're a little shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. But what I, what, I, what I love, too, is President Claremont at one point is having a conversation with her ex-husband who is offering to campaign for her. And she says, no, 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 we, we've gone over this, right? This is my re-election campaign. We went over this the first time. Y women, women are not likable when, they're, when, when the public is reminded of the fact that they are divorced, mm -hmm. right? The public likes women who are married, women who have yeah. families, women who have children. Um, it's those little conversations like that that, to me, make the book. Right. Definitely. And even though I know he was coming from a place of help and, and wanting to, to aid her campaign, I feel like it was a bit presumptuous of him to think that she needed his help in that way to it was win. very mansplaining. Very mansplaining. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of mansplaining in the book. Oh, there is. But it does. It, it kind of opens up all these different levels that you get from the book. And, and that particular, going back to the president who will not be named, 
it, it made me think of him, you know, that why women have to really worry about their image. Yeah. Are people considering, do they think you're a good mother? Do they think you're a good family person? Yet you can elect a president who's been divorced <laughs> twice, you know, is, has been caught like, on film saying the most awful things about women. And that's okay. It's locker room talk. That's what guys do. Yeah. It's like, that's no. not what the guys Oof. do in my world. Nope. So why do we accept that in our elected officials? It's just it's bizarre. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, it's become sort of a, a tradition of mine to quote at some point an article on The Atlantic. But you can also have make the same argument about the fact that Donald Trump's presidency was really only made possible after having our first black president. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can go back and you can read the article, The First White President by Ta-Nehisi Coates, where he's really talking about how he was a reactionary president in mm-hmm. every way. A lot of his policies were not policies at all. They were just trying to reverse whatever progress uh, President Obama had made. So this idea that Richards, right, is is the 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 candidate mm -hmm. um, in the book, book, that he would would go to these lengths to set Alex up, right? All of that felt to me perfectly uh, real. Like, it felt realistic. It's very in line with the reality. All those awful things. I was like, oh, yeah, we've, we've seen worse. Right. And, you know, a lot of people, I do know people who voted for Trump simply because they couldn't, they had this really visceral reaction to Hillary Clinton, Same. which is because she was a woman. Exactly. And, I, you know, it made me think of, of Clinton as well, how beaten up Hillary Clinton was about the fact that she stayed with her husband. It's like, where is where, where is the blame for the man and his behavior? Right. And how did we suddenly start talking about why the woman stayed with him? Like, why, why are women always scrutinized more and held to a higher standard? You're right. damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Right. Yeah, yeah that was going to be my next point is that there are in also a, an entire group of people saying, well, you know, she stayed, she left. It would have been bad regardless of what she chose right. to do, right? And so it's always, it's always on the woman mm-hmm. in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in this really um, just obviously unfair, but in this infuriating, I mean, it drives me absolutely crazy. It drives me absolutely nuts. And, and now that we're living in this sort of different uh, reality, right? Where I'm not doom scrolling Twitter and I'm not watching <laughs> CNN in tears. I didn't realize how much anxiety I had until it was over. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. whoa, this is what feeling normal is again? You know what happened to me the other day? I had said something to, to I think it was my brother. I was like, I don't see Kamala Harris a lot. Like, I don't yes. see her on the news a lot. And my brother was like, yeah, because you're not supposed to. You just got used to four years of all of that being entertainment. Right. You're right. 24-7. And I was like, you're absolutely right. I'm not actually supposed to think about these people no, every day. No, they're just yeah. supposed to do their jobs yeah. right. and make policies and make the world a better place, not be, be angry tweeting at three in the morning about any random thing that mm-hmm. happened to them. Mm-hmm. And theoretically make me feel safe. Yeah, right? <laughs> what a concept. What a concept. <laughs> but it's it's so, so much has changed, and, and this book, I think, provides a little bit of... um of a bridge, you know? So this is a good book to read, I think, now, mm-hmm. because we're, yeah. we're living in a sort of different state. But I also wanted to touch on what we haven't touched on yet, which is the British side oh. of this book. <laughs> yes. right? That's why we have Emma here. We need some insight here, because <laughs> for Americans, a royal family sounds wild. I mean, for me, like, I've, I've said this before, if I mention anything about the royal family, my dad, the first thing he says is like, it's 2021. Like, why are these people even still around? Like, what is it? This right. is crazy. Why are we still Insane. honoring, you know, imperialism and colonialism mm-hmm. in this in this way? But people in in the UK, they love they their love queen. They love them. What is the deal? Right. Well, some of them do. 
Not all of them do. Okay. I, you know, I, I don't, con- despite, like, my family's connections, I say connections, that makes it sound like we're related and I'm being invited to <laughs> parties all the time. That's not true. But, you know, I'm not a royalist at all, but you can't grow up in England and not be always thinking about the royal family. Like, they are a constant presence in, in your life, in the press. We think about them and talk about them all the time. And what I think is so interesting about this book, and on one level it was a little annoying to me that it seemed so close to the truth, like Henry being Henry, like, you know, taking a name from that is really very current um, mm-hmm. in the English royal family. Right. Philip is another. That, like It felt like it was almost uh, a kind of pastiche of what the royal family is in uh, England right, right now. Yes, I see. But there were things there that really resonated. So it, there's been this rumor, and you know, I hope I'm not going to suddenly get a subpoena or something and be <laughs> sued for libel. But Prince Edward, there was a time when Prince Edward was younger when people used to say, I'm sure that Prince Edward is gay and that he is only getting married as, you know, it's, it's all a front, a little bit like, you know, at one point in the book when... Um, they're talking about the Queen's reaction to Henry being gay or the possibility of being gay and that it would reflect poorly on the crown. And Nora said, princes aren't allowed to be gay. And that's just one of those things. For the longest time, it was divorce. You couldn't, Mm. the idea of getting divorced was just horrific. And Prince Charles was really the first, the, the Duke of Windsor got, divorced and had to leave the country oh, and, and being gay is a, it's a similar kind of thing so this idea of always keeping up keeping up a facade and trying to show this sort of perfection to the country um, I think it's really interesting and it presents a lot of conflicts and I think the royal family at least in modern times has been trying to move away from that but they've never really done it successfully and I think there's this um, feeling that it will I'm sorry, take Queen Elizabeth will have to die before yeah. anything changes. Yeah. And I can see that because it's 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 history, it's tradition, mm-hmm. it's years and years in the making of how things were and I mean look at Meghan and Harry, that just shook things up and, and we saw the backlash from that. Yeah. So right. But let's yeah. I mean, <clears throat> let's call it what it is. Yeah. It's up it's 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 upholding a system that is outdated mm-hmm. for for many pretty horrible reasons, right? I mean, yeah. white supremacy, racism, genocide. Let's yeah. let's not mm-hmm. pretend like this isn't laced in there, right? right. So, you know, when, when I was when I was thinking of Henry, I mean, there's this moment when he when he says, "I've been trying to be happy my entire idiot life. My birthright is a country, not happiness." That yeah. made me really Aww, sad. Me too. And it did kind of remind me of of the Harry and Meghan situation, mm-hmm. right? Inevitably. You know, I I don't know how much is true and how much isn't true from that Oprah interview, right? I watched it. I was glued to my television like everyone else in America. But, you know, the reality is that there are still certain things that need to be upheld. There yeah. are still certain rules. There, is, there, there are still concerns. I'll, I'll use that word. <laughs> but really, you know, Megan coming into the family as, as an American, mm-hmm. as, as a divorced woman, you right. know, yeah. that, that shook things up. Um, all of that, I think, exposed a lot of what the crown still stands for because of how fiercely she was rejected. And also, let's not forget to blame the British press who wrote horrible, horrible. racist, disgusting things about her. And they've always been horrible. But yeah, they they really showed it to the full extreme with that. And, And you wouldn't, I mean, I guess you would, but you wouldn't think in this day and age that having a headline like some of the ones that we that we saw would be acceptable. Or that anyone would think it intelligent. I was I was shocked, and and I was even more shocked by how personally invested some people I knew in England were 
in what happened with Harry and Meghan, you know, and feeling somehow personally betrayed by the Oprah interview and by the fact that, that Harry left to go to, to Canada. Mm -hmm. I was just like, why? Why are people freaking out about this so much? I didn't watch the interview, but I got asked constantly by people, what do you feel about it? What do you think about it? I'm like, I don't think anything. Like, why Why do we even care what the, you know, <laughs> true. 50th in line to the throne thinks? I mean, come on, let him go and mow his lawn and tend chickens in Canada. I don't care. <laughs> Sounds like a nice life, though, in Canada. Right? Yeah. Yeah, straight up. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I watched the interview. I was glued. Of course. I was glued I to that too. television. A, I have a huge crush on him. I think he's adorable. B, I love her. I just think she's the cutest thing, and I think she's so intelligent, and I love everything that she's that she's done. She stands up for women, and she's, you know, I, I, I like them very much, but I also acknowledge that in liking them, there's, like, this weird sort of, like, backwards thought for me, like, why do I care about these right. people? <laughs> the same reason people over here care about the Kardashians. We have no fucking clue. We just do. Yeah, but I but I think that part of the reason why I like Harry and Meghan is because I see them as going against the grain. And going against the grain and going against the royal family, I quite enjoy that because I think it's about time. Mm -hmm. Because the last time, I mean, and this is like, this is way going back, but, you know, the last time that there was an abdication, he turned out to be yeah. a freaking Nazi. Right. Right? So let's yeah. stop pretending like this isn't like yeah. a, a cool going against the grain in comparison. You know what I mean? That was who, Edward, Edward right? Edward, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no one was sad to see the back of him. No. <laughs> no one was sad to see him go. They also hated uh, his wife, Wallace Simpson. Mm -hmm. Uh, she she was a she's her, she's her own situation. We'll just sort of leave it at that. But they yeah there's there's footage of them hanging out with Hitler and everything. I mean yeah. there, there's a, there's a dark there's a dark past there, right? People like to romanticize that story. I've mm -hmm. noticed they love to say that he abdicated because he loved her and and you know and they and the family wouldn't accept her. But you also think about what happened after the fact um, and you kind of stop feeling bad. Right. And I think one of the other things that I thought about when I read this book, and I think I read it at the same time that The Crown was on, the latest season. Oh. And I love that show. I, I don't love know if you guys have seen it. Seen it oh, it's wonderful. It really is fantastic. Fantastic. All the seasons really, um, you just get fully immersed in it. But I think it touches on a lot of the same themes, and it goes back to what you were saying about um, the quotes about Henry just not being happy and his life not being his own. And you get that when you watch The Crown and you see the Queen, that that's very much the feeling that you get from her, that she was yeah. born into this. She's probably the last of the of the current royals who still feels that responsibility to what they call the firm. Yeah. But this is a job. Right. She doesn't get to have her own kind of internal emotional life. And that extends to the way that she deals with her children. And you, know, and you see some of this in here with the way that the queen speaks to Henry and the way that even his own mother, who is a princess after all, just kind of detaches. And they find it too, that structure is just too much for them to deal with. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I also thought it was interesting that, yeah, because I also watched The Crown. So when you watch The Crown, you also start to pity these people yeah. in a way that when you're being rational, you, you kind of don't. Yeah. Like, exactly. I'm not a fan of, of Prince Charles. I think he's a real ass. But in The Crown, you feel so bad that he was never really allowed to express himself the way that he wanted to express express himself. He was mm -hmm. like a sensitive, like creative kid that was all suppressed, uh, was never allowed to have the relationship that he wanted. You know, yeah. how can you blame someone for trying to survive you know, and I mean that in a very exaggerated way, obviously, but in the midst of being told how to be, how to portray yourself in public, and then how that seeps into who you become behind closed doors, right? Mm -hmm. How, how can awful. you help that? Yeah, exactly. Right? And that also ties into 
the conversation that we had in episode three, this idea of, of, of these boxes, right, and how people are told that they have to fit into these different cookie-cutter molds and how we have to eliminate those boxes because depending on where you are, they don't make sense, which right. just makes the argument that they're not real <laughs> and shouldn't be, shouldn't be part of the conversation. But this idea that you have to be a certain thing, that you have to fit a certain mold, I mean, there is no better representation of that than, than the royal family. And yeah. you get a really good sense of that. You do. Here. You see it throughout the book, even with um, B, Bia. I don't know how to, the sister. B, B, I guess. B, B, short for Beatrice. Yeah. Oh, B. yeah. Although B. I was putting my Latin head hat on and saying bear, but bear. it's not bear. Because yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <'cause> <laughs> you're also fluent in Spanish yes. because you're just a treasure trope, Emma. There you go. Uh, but even with her missed, her own personal missteps and I guess that coming from rebelling against right. um, the institution, I mean, I, I feel bad for them. Yeah, she was, she was a really endearing character because she was Henry's support system and only knew how to be that because of everything that she had endured. And, mm-hmm. and actually, they talk about the press, right? When yeah, they, they talk do. about uh, what happened to her. They called her, what, the powder, powder the princess? The powder princess. Powder, yeah. <laughs> Oof, that's so sad. Yeah, and that which about, and it's the same for Alex, living your life in the public eye and just never being allowed to have anything that is your own and being analyzed to within an inch of your life. And, right. and just people making those judgments all the time when they don't know you. Right. No, at right. all. They just know the, the persona that the press puts out and that you see throughout the papers, but they don't know you. And right. that's that's another problem I think we have here with social media and celebrity. It's you think you know these people so well, but they you don't know shit. And everything is so carefully curated on yeah. your feed and, mm-hmm. and everything that is put out into the world. I think Alex even says, like, everyone knows, every, anyone who has a publicist knows that if it ends up on people, it's because we leaked it. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything is so perfectly, you know, decided on. But I, I, I also, I wanted to touch on the idea, because of course I have to, touch on brown people in the White House, Latin <laughs> people, Latin American people in the White House. There was, there's a scene where, uh, Alex and his dad are sitting uh, on on the balcony, and they're just both laughing at the idea of these two Mexican men sitting at the White House, enjoying themselves, you know, Alex living there. That brought me so much joy. The the, the Latin American narrative, Rafael Luna, I picture him as just this adorable, well-dressed, just perfect perfect senator mm-hmm. um, you know obviously things go haywire at one point but I I just loved that I loved that narrative I, I loved that there was a little bit of Spanish in the book mm-hmm. there could have been more there but I'm not going to be critical um, I, I just really really loved that because I want people to also think of romance novels and fiction as you know as we've already said what's possible but to envision a different, um, you know, a, a different first family to yep. envision leadership looking more like you, in, in, in my case, or like your neighbors or like your coworkers or like the yeah. people around you. So that includes, of course, women. I would love nothing more than to see a woman president. But I just really loved the idea of like people who speak Spanish and who have a little bit of an accent, even maybe in the White House and in a position of power and representing the American people. That that was probably for me one of my just one of my favorite parts of the book. I really loved the line when um, and I, I think it was Alex who said it that there's a whole there were a whole bunch of people around the states thinking that Mexicans stole the first family jobs too. I, I, <laughs> I guess you know, I, I I really loved that. That's that a great well. line. I love that and 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 there's also a really great moment where Alex 
is getting into a little bit of a heated conversation with who he calls Waspy Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, working for his mother's campaign, and talking about why it's important to campaign in places where where you have a majority of, of, of Republicans, where you have you know places that, that usually go red, right? The importance, mm-hmm. because he says, maybe those populations might be more, motiva- more motivated to vote if we made an actual effort to campaign to them and showed them that we care and how our platform is designed to help them, not leave them behind. And I think that that's so, 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 so important. And we forget mm-hmm. that because we have this trash system called the Electoral College, right? Mm-hmm. This absolute trash nonsense of a system that makes it so that some people's votes count more than others, mm-hmm. right? That really, that really, that's what it boils that down really to. Is. Yeah. That's what it boils down to. And what, and, and, and I'm glad that she brought this up, the, the author, by putting it in this conversation because there are so many people who think um, highly of themselves for, you know, participating in the political process and coming from a blue state and feeling they don't have to do that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is that this this affects every single one of us, right? Every single one of us has to get involved. And if you're not campaigning to people who actually, if you give them a chance, very well might, and I'm being way optimistic here, but they might actually understand where you're coming from. They might appreciate your platform. We're living in really, really divided times. Yeah where people are choosing not to believe that there's goodness yeah. in, in, in the other side. But it is so crucial, especially if one day we want to see Texas go blue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was, to me, the most un- unrealistic part of this whole book. <laughs> I, but I kind of felt that was pretty prescient. When you talk about how what an interesting book it is to read in our current times, the fact that it was Texas and everything that we've been seeing in Texas with so you know these crazy Neanderthal abortion rules, um, redistricting, like I never really understood that. Right. But at the last election, I got, got to learn more about how important it is to vote in your local and state elections because those people are the ones who have power to redraw the lines. Yes. And that's, that's how you set everything up. Like you, you can make it into a no-win situation for a big percentage of the population, and that's... It's just crazy to me. Yeah, we and, call and it democracy, and it's not. It's no, not at all. It's absolutely not. I think I think that what we have here in this country is is masquerading as democracy, but quite frankly, it's not. And that's why at the very beginning of this episode, you know, I, I mentioned that if if your vote didn't count, then they wouldn't be working so hard to take it away mm-hmm. from you, because that's that's exactly what we're seeing. You know, we um, the the, the Voting Rights Act has been yeah. chipped away at little mm-hmm. by little by little by little. And my favorite argument, the most ironic and ridiculous argument was, well, we have, this was back then, we have a black president, so how could we possibly need a Voting Rights Act? And then you just see state after state after state chip away at it, you know, and and I'll never forget Ruth Bader Ginsburg's incredible dissent where she said, well, that's like putting away your umbrella in a a rainstorm because you're not getting wet. Well, eventually yeah. you fucking will. Yeah. Right. So how how is it how is it possible that we're not doing everything we can to preserve democracy? Instead, we're doing so much to erode it. So democracy is an act, right? To quote John Lewis, we have to get involved. We have to remain involved. So this just goes back to the, I'm not a political person. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Yeah, you are. You might not realize it, but you are because every right that you have or don't have mm-hmm. is based on everything happening around you, what you didn't, didn't vote for, et cetera. I just want people to read this book and and, and see and feel, like viscerally feel how much all of this affects them. Yeah. We can't keep living in a world where we're indifferent. No, definitely. Especially I feel 
with the the last um, couple of elections with with you know our, our our dear friend who came in in 2016 and all that I feel like that was the most politically active that I've been and the most I've, I've learned I mean we grow up here in public school and you learn all about you know Congress Senate everything but you don't really think about it you take your liberties for granted yeah. and what's what you get for granted so it was really um, not until that election that I started paying attention I started watching CNN and, and really diving in and understanding how this all affects me so I really hope that our listeners here do the same yeah and and also that it's okay to admit that you're just getting involved like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't help to shame people who haven't voted in the past you know, let's just encourage them. Let's give them the information that they need to get involved. I I, I lived in, in Europe for a long time, and the first time I ever voted was for Obama. And I remember I voted over there, and I felt so separated, you know, from everything that was happening here. But it just also felt so, so good, so exciting, right? Mm-hmm. The first time I got to vote, and I got to vote for this super cool black dude, you right. know? It was just so exciting. And, and I mean, I and now, you know, I... Alex and I actually went and we voted together this yeah. time around. We went and we dropped off our our mail-in ballots at the at the Coral Gables Public Library. Shout out to <laughs> the library. <laughs> of course we went to the library Place to vote. Of, of course we did. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I got super emotional too because of the thought of having a woman in the White House, you mm-hmm. know, of the first woman vice president. You know, it's it's you can say what you want about how things have been going, about about her, whatever. That I, I, I totally understand that nobody's perfect and we can criticize her record all we want, but it still means a lot because there's even a moment in the book when Alex says there are there are young girls who are young enough to not know what it's like to have a white man as a president. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the world that we're building. There are little girls right now who are going to grow up in a world where yeah, of, of course there was a woman vice president. That's not even yeah. a question. Yeah. Whereas for me, that was one of the most emotional moments when we found out a couple of days after the election that, you know, we had in fact won. That for me was the moment. That's what I thought about. I thought of her. And then when she stood there and she said, uh, I may be the first woman in this office, but I will not be the last. And then my tears just mm-hmm. started gushing out of my eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's why I became a citizen. And I only became a citizen a couple of years ago. Sadly, I tried to do it in time to vote um, in the 2016 election, but I, I didn't make it. I And it was one of the saddest moments of my life that when I did my citizenship ceremony, it was Trump that <laughs> did the recording that I had to wave my little flag to. That, that was bad. But, you know, I, I wanted to vote. I've been living in this country for 20 years and was not able to vote. And if you can't vote, you can't have any say over what your life is like. Right. And this is just one way to do it. Yeah, this is just one way to do it. And so, I, well, I want to thank you both for, you know, having this conversation with us, for talking about Red, White, and Royal Blue. I want to keep this conversation going, so anyone who has any questions, anyone who wants to get involved politically, you can DM us. We will help you. We will always teach you how to register to vote. We will teach you how to do everything because we care that much. But I think now is a good time for us to dive into a very, very, very happy portion of this podcast, which is the wine tasting. And this is where Alexa really is going to, we're going to have an educational moment right now because British, British sparkling wine, not it's the real reason I, I came. I only came for the wine. <laughs> It's from your motherland. It so is. Exactly. You must feel right at home here. <laughs> no, but with all of the celebratory moments, the royal family, I thought an English sparkling wine was so perfect for this book. 
Um, so what we're drinking is Gusborne Brut Reserve 2015. It takes its name from John de Gusborne, who owned the estate back in 1410. And in 2004, that's when they first started planting the vines. Um, and they planted them with the goal of rivaling the wines of Champagne. So ambitious. Very ambitious. Yeah. I'm like, okay, hold your horses. But no, they uh, they planted them and they really focused on the classic grape varieties that are also found in Burgundy. So Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Pinot Meunier, all used in Champagne. Did I pronounce that right? More or less. More or less. Okay. I thought it was pretty good. Pretty Sounded good. good pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Better than the, the chicken wine from... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we call it the chicken wine. We just yeah. make it easier for everybody. Uh, and I think it's also important to note that um, some vineyards in other places will source wines. Um, some wineries will source grapes from other vineyards, but they source them all from their own vineyards. So it's their own grapes that they're raising, that they're farming um, organically and trying to do the most, the least amount of intervention to. So um, they only make vintage wine. So this is a quick lesson. Vintage means the year that the wine was made. Not that it's old, not that it's ancient, but that's the year that the vine uh, that the wines were produced. And um, that matters because you'll be able to taste the unique changes in the wine. That year, was it a bit rainier? Was it sunnier out? Did the fruit ripen more? Um, were there any other external elements that changed the, the taste of the wine? So that's why I like uh, vintage wine, because you could really get a sense of the year and the history, you know, growing in there. And um, in Champagne, they only make vintage wines from the best years. If they have a shit awful year and the grapes suck, they will not bottle it. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a lot of, that's where you get into the non-vintage wines, the NV wines, where mm. they make it out of blend of different years to keep up that consistency. So with the non-vintage blends, they're going to taste the same every single year because it's a special reserve. I never knew board. that's what NV stood for. I, yeah, yeah. I really did learn something. Yeah, there we go, look. You learn something new every day with Alexa's wine diary. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know a lot of our, our listeners gave me some shit about it being English sparkling and talking about it, you know, rivaling champagne. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't it so cold and dreary in England? How are they producing wine? How is this possible? Um, but basically, the, the terroir and the environmental factors have everything to do with it. The, the vineyard is in England's southern end, so Kent and West Sussex. And they're very similar to those um, regions in Champagne. So the vineyards have this dry maritime climate. The, the soils have a lot of limestone in them. And, you know, with global warming and climate change, everything has really uh, loosened up there with the weather and they're getting a lot more um, warm temperatures to help the grapes ripen and reach their full potential. So let's let's drink it and see what we what we all think. Let me pour. So did we find the only positive to climate change is is, is the production right. of this it's wine english wine yeah <laughs> i think so that's it it's not it's not a pretty good price to pay honestly we really got to get on this no yeah. and i think it's important to note that even though some regions like england for example are benefiting from you know new innovations and making wine you know doing things that you never thought possible i think it's important to note that staple winemaking regions around the world are going to get too hot for the grapes mm-hmm. right. at some yeah. point. And they're going to either have to think of another grape to cultivate that's more resistant to heat, change their methods completely. I, I, I don't really know, especially in a lot of these vineyards in France and Italy. A lot of old world vineyards don't go into a lot of additional winemaking. They don't do irrigation. They don't do, they, they really focus on what 
the sun right. and the grapes and they the, do the, things the, traditionally. Yeah, exactly. So. It's a toss-up. Yeah, it's a challenge. It it is. Fun fact: At my wedding, we had an English white wine and a Mexican red. That's what we did. I That's love perfect. It. I don't remember how they tasted. I had too much tequila. <laughs> <laughs> that means you had a good time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cheers. We poured some. Right, let's try this. So this wine is kind of pale yellow in color, full of of tiny fine bubbles that just keep on going. What do you ladies think so far? Super crisp. Yeah. Really refreshing. Super fresh. Those are also my go-to words when I don't know what to say about wine. <laughs> They're usually right when it comes to, like, yes. sparkling and whites. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. I mean, when I was growing up in England, you wouldn't dream of drinking an English wine. Like, what is that? But, yeah, this is, this is not bad. <laughs> it's true. I can't even imagine. So, this may perhaps a silly question, but I know that champagne, the, the bubbles occur already in the bottle, correct? And then Prosecco is, like, in the barrel. So what is the case... With, with something like this? They follow the traditional method of champagne. So they do exactly um, the two-step method in champagne. So that wasn't a totally stupid question. No, no, it wasn't stupid at all. This just goes I'm, to show out how much I've actually learned from Alexa, <laughs> <laughs> honestly. Yes, they follow very traditional methods. So it's a two-part uh, fermentation. So they really are trying to rival. Oh, yeah, definitely. And... I mean, it's pretty good. I get a lot of, um, like, apple. Yeah, Yeah, it's very citrusy. Yeah, like lemon. It's very fresh and crisp and lime. So, fun fact. Oh, did we do this last time? I don't remember. We have. I know what you're about to say, and we haven't done it. (laughs) It's funny. It's really funny. I'm going to look so stupid. I'm so glad you guys can't see me. It's a good thing it's a podcast. Yeah, good thing. Um, So, when judging the acidity of a wine, a very easy trick is to take a sip and then lower your head down, looking at your lap, open your mouth, and see how fast the saliva rushes out of it. Oh, my the God. Faster, yeah. The faster it goes, the, the higher acidity is in the wine. So we're all going to take a moment okay. of silence here. <laughs> I can't even open my mouth. I'm laughing yeah. too much. I would say it's, it's streamed down pretty it's quickly. Down. Is it bad if it ends up in my yeah. sinuses? I don't know. <laughs> That's just how refreshing it is. That's how crisp it is. Crisp, zesty. <laughs> wow. It is good. I really, no, really like good. it. Get a little brioche, but more so. I get a lot of apple, different apples and citruses. In yeah, there. green apple. Yeah, I like it because it, it, it's, it feels very accessible, too. It feels like something that you could take to someone's house oh, for yeah. dinner, and it wouldn't, you know, um, it wouldn't offend anybody. No, no, it's <laughs> definitely a pleaser. I think. It feels like a good wine for those English summer days when you're taking a picnic out into the park, and, and then you pop a, open a bottle of this. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Great, that's a good yeah. setting for it. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a pricier bottle, right, than... Yeah, definitely. That, that's my only caveat with this, and some of the, you know unbelievers here that um, it is a price here it's like in the 50 to 60 dollar range and I understand that some people would take that and be like well if I'm gonna spend 50 or 60 I might as well buy champagne and yes you totally can and I yeah I I would personally have to agree but I'm also a total wine geek and I like trying wine from different regions and when else are you ever going to drink a wine from England? Right. <laughs> Let's yeah. be real. But that's what makes it fun. That's what I like, though, is, is, is that comparison. Because, yeah, sure, some people will choose to buy champagne. But what's cool and interesting is tasting both, understanding the difference in both, and then having your own sort of personal taste, and then knowing, knowing what to take to your friend's house for dinner. Yeah, you know? exactly. That's and half it, the fun. And it's exciting to see unexpected wine regions making great wine. I mean, this is very well made. It's complex. They, they spent a lot of time and effort and, and really put a lot of love into this wine and, and it shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. I like it. I'm excited to finish this bottle. Yay! It's a winner. It's a winner. Yay! Well, thank you all so much, and thank you to all of you. As you know, as we've been posting over the past couple of weeks, we have some great new merch up on our Flow page, on our Etsy page, so please go and check that out. If you sign up for our newsletter, you get a 10% off code, right, Alexa? Yes, you do. So we encourage you guys to go shopping. The tote bag, you can carry lots of hardcover books in there. I've tested it. I went to Books and Books, and I put six hardcovers in there, and it, and, and it held up. So Whoa. that's a very Quality. positive. Yes, that's a very positive review because I've had tote bags tear mm-hmm. on my way home from Books and Books, and it's very embarrassing when what falls out <laughs> is a whole bunch of books and everyone's looking at you. So that's that's a major thing. Please please check out our merch and anything else that you, any other feedback you have, you're always welcome to send us a DM. So thank you all again so much for continuing the conversation. And thank you, Emma. Thank you, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. This was a trip. I enjoyed it. Was it was such a blast. <laughs> and we're not going to talk about episode five here. What a milestone. We're going to make you sign up for the newsletter. Yep. Double reason to do so. Yep. We will tell you that. Because episode five is happening in October, that you can expect something a little scary. A little scary. A little that's spooky all, season. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Spooky but season. I love well, spooky season. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>